Evansville has offered to let any of our crew stay. What will you do about that? Maybe this is one of those decisions that the captain has to make for the entire ship. You may have a problem if a lot of people want to stay. I know that. But at the same time, I can't take a vote every time there's a major decision to be made. And yet, we're a long way from Starfleet. Welcome back to Delta Flyer. I'm Thad Haight. And I'm Stuart Hollis. And this week, we're talking about Season 2, Episode 1, The 37s. This week, we're talking about Season 2, Episode 1, The 37s. Speaking Shatnerian, this week, we're talking about Season 2, Episode 1, The 37s. Yes, we are. It originally aired August 28th, 1995, and our synopsis from TV Guide, The crew discovers Amelia Earhart among eight humans preserved by cryogenics after they follow a distress signal to an alien planet. I mean, uh, yeah. Yeah. That's, you know, Memory right Alpha's there. synopsis is considerably more vague. Okay. While investigating the origins of a 1936 Ford truck floating in space, Voyager discovers a 434-year-old Earth mystery on a distant planet. Okay. Yeah. It's like both vague and oddly specific. You don't need to tell us it's exactly 434 years old or that it's a 1936 Ford truck. Um, there was something I wanted to... When I was reading and rewriting the synopsis, for some reason, like something... Like something made me like want to talk about it and now I can't remember what it was. Okay. Maybe just that it's... like To me, it felt kind of brief. But like that's, that's not what... It, yeah. Well... This was written by Jerry Taylor and Brandon Braga, both of whom we talked about in season one. Uh, Jerry Taylor was one of the creators of Voyager, uh, the executive producer for the first few seasons. Brandon Braga was one of the staff writers. Uh, both Taylor and Braga came from TNG, and Braga was one of the executive producers towards the end of the show. Okay. And it was directed by James L. Conway, who has... Uh, who has directed a few episodes of all of the 90s Star Trek. And interestingly enough, he directed four episodes of season two of Voyager, but no other Voyager episodes. Oh, okay. I'm not... I don't know if I'd call that interesting. But... It's a little interesting. Yeah. Okay. His most notable episode uh, on DS9, he directed The Way of the Warrior, which is the season four opener where Worf joins the show. Nice. So, uh, did you think about what you wanted to talk about? No, it never came to me. All right. But instead we can talk about how there's rust in that nebula. Rust? That's right, Captain. High levels of ferric oxide. There is. And I want to talk about if this truck is floating in space. In space, yes. First off, how is there still water in the radiator? Yes. Secondly... How does the menorah have enough moisture left in it that Janeway can smell it? Yes. I mean, those those are my big things. Yeah. I also don't know what extreme colds and 400 years would do to gasoline and a battery. Not good things, I'm sure. Not good things, no. But, okay, whatever. I bet I bet all the UV in space would also do some serious damage to the tires. It's a good thing they don't we don't see them driving around in the truck. Mm. So this episode and not 
other episodes for some reason. This episode on the DVD had the option to turn on a like inf- like informative commentary text. track. Oh, no. oh no, the uh, the this descriptive audio. No, not descriptive audio. Informative oh. text boxes. Like every so often, what? Bring up a box that said like uh, that that give me the history of Ford trucks in the 1930s, for instance. So like pop up video. Pop up video. Yeah, but not video, just words. No, I. You don't... Okay. So, listeners and Thad, Pop-Up Video was a brief-lived VH1 series from around this time, the mid-90s, where they would play music videos, but also have things popping up on screen talking about the music videos Ah, and and key details and points of interest from whatever happened to be on the screen during the music video at that time. Okay, then yes, that is what that was saying. Uh, so by 1936, there were f- there were three million Ford trucks on the highways in the United States. I bet they had model names. Yeah. Uh. Well. Uh. This Ford truck was was based on a Model A. Okay. I just it was irksome that he's like it's a 1936 Ford. Like the 36, that's pretty impressive. Ford, he can read. Good job. But, like, he couldn't give us a model name? That just seemed a little weak for a vintage car buff. Okay, now I'm going to, like, go look this up, because I didn't. But the thing that was I was popping up didn't actually give a model on the truck. They just said the Ford pickup was introduced here, and it was originally based on the Model A with a different uh, body. Or it was originally based on the Model T, but then switched over to the Model A. Well, then if this was, like, the first or second year they ever made a pickup truck, then I suppose it is possible that they would have... They would have... They'd had them for about ten years. Never mind. They, um, like, I mean, I guess it could have been, like, like the model was the pickup. Like, like I mean, like, nowadays, pickup is a generic catch-all for four wheels and a cab and a bed and, you know, a pickup truck. But what if, perhaps, it was the Ford pickup... Like, was the model name. And, like, they invented the term or name pickup. Right? It's possible. Yeah. Hmm. Well, the the F series that we know today didn't come around until 48. Sure. Anyway. It, yeah, they just called it the pickup. They being Ford. Ford. Yes. Okay. Well, specifically, it was the Model T pickup and the Model A pickup. Oh, okay. Uh, and it cost $281. Which I have no idea what that actually means because I don't know how much a dollar was worth in 1937. Yeah, it's complicated. But what's not complicated is how could something be rusting in space? Well, he never said it was actively rusting, Captain. Right. It rusted, and then it was chucked into space. Well, no, it was rusting from the same water source that was keeping the menorah stinky and the radiator moist. Moist. (laughs) Right. Are you... Say that word again. That thing that Biff Tannen hates. I hate Menorah. Oh, Menorah. Again? Menorah. Menorah! I hate Menorah! How do you spell that word? M-A-N-U-R-E. Uh-huh. <laughs> what? So why don't you pronounce it how it's spelled? Menorah. <laughs> I, I learned it as Menorah. Okay. S- sort of like... Almost, but not quite the same as... The... And on the seventh night. <laughs> yes, but not quite the same. The poo menorah, still smelled. And that's instead of menorah. <laughs> there's, there's a slight difference. 
I just wanted to make sure that I wasn't, like, hearing things. <laughs> that's how I first learned. Like, that's how my dad pronounced it, so that's how I learned to pronounce it. In the same way that I say I call an outdoor faucet a spigot, because that's how I learned it. Even though it definitely is spelled with a G. <laughs> it definitely is. I didn't learn that. It was when I was an adult that I learned it was spelled with a G, actually. I always assumed it was uh, spelled like wicket, only with an SP at the beginning. So, speaking of hearing things. Yes. Uh, they don't hear Tom Paris trying to turn the truck over before it backfires a couple, three or four times? I mean, they did, but they wouldn't have known that noise either. They should have, you're right, so they should have been equally surprised by noises happening. <laughs> yes, that's true. And what was with Harry Kim's dumb question? Was this an early hover car? Yes, Harry. Those round black things on, like, that it's upon which it sits, those are the hover elements. I found it interesting, uh, and this is just me not knowing all that much about old cars. I found it interesting that, that it was a model where you turned the key and pressed the starter. I didn't realize that I knew that the original cars didn't have an ignition key, and you just press the starter to start them. I didn't realize there was a transition period where they had both. Yeah, and I can't remember, because uh, I briefly had a car from 49. I can't yeah. remember. I remember that there were knobs on the console so I could adjust the fuel-air mixture. Mm-hmm. But I honestly can't remember if there was a key and starter. And, of course, nowadays we've gone back to the basics and we have a button again. Well, right, because the key is electronic and in the cloud. Mm. I mean, it's a very small cloud, like, just that just fits inside your car, but that's well, where it is. It's in the cloud. Yes and no. Some, on, the, on newer cars where you can use, you know, an app on your phone to start your car remotely, but you could kind of say the key is in the cloud. Oh, shoot, yeah, it is in the cloud. A trinimbic cloud. Mm, yes, I do have that notated down. I didn't look that up, but I suspect this is the only time we ever hear that. That is correct. We're kicking off season two with our fifth one and done. Okay. That we noticed. There may have been some that went over our heads. Nothing goes over our heads. So, I didn't think that that scene where the navigator professes his love to... Amelia Earhart was in t was necessary at all. Nope. Also, the guy playing the navigator, uh, David Graff. Yes, you're welcome. I actually have his name written down here, so I was about to. I say believe you. It. Uh, he's a kind of a discount Kevin McNulty. Yes. Kevin McNulty is uh, trying to think if I can name a specific. He's in everything. He's uh, in many things. Yeah. I'm pretty sure he's even been on Star Trek. I'm sure yeah, everyone's been on Star Trek. But you know who Kevin McNulty is. Sure, yeah. So do okay. our listeners, of course. They're savvy folks. I'm trying to think. What is? What would you say is Kevin McNulty's most famous role? Because I honestly don't know. Like, I'm thinking, the one for some reason, the one that stands out to me is the episode of Starkated Atlantis that he's in. But that's not his most famous role, for sure. Uh, IMDB says he's most known for... The Invisible, Snakes on a Plane, Time Cop, and the 2005 Fantastic Four. That's right, he was the doorman. But anyway, he's a character actor who's been in so many things. And David Graff kind of looks like him. I'm here. I'll be easier to latch on to. And then the doorman from 
Fantastic Four. <laughs> I mean, he, he, I don't think he's ever been, he's never been a lead in anything. He was on Seven Days. Of course he was. Was he on the Dead Zone? I have no idea. I didn't see it. <laughs> but anyway, if you don't know who he is, look him up. When you see him, you'll know who he is. Yeah, almost certainly. He was on SG-1. Yes, he was. Yeah. Three he or was four on times. Psych. Yeah. So if he was on Psych, he might very well have been on the Dead Zone as well. Okay, so getting back to the episode, because we got well into the weeds. Yeah. Uh, okay, so... The truck is in space, and it's covered in rust, but it's not rusting anymore because it's in space, and so that's why right. it's... And surprisingly, still has water in the radiator and not a exploded radiator. Um, yeah, that's what I'm saying. Right, because it, it is a sealed system, so it's not like the water would have like boiled off in right. the vacuum. It instead would have frozen, expanded... Well, once it exploded the radiator, it would have... What was left of it, yeah, sure. Like... But yes, it definitely would have exploded the radiator first. Uh, anyway, they get down to the planet, and the plane is in surprisingly good shape. Maybe the people are constantly maintaining it. But it doesn't look like something that's been constantly maintained. It looks like something that's like only been there like 30 years instead of yeah, I don't 430 know. years. Maybe that's what something that's been constantly maintained for 430 years looks like. I don't know. Uh, it was more or less... It did have the correct um, flight... Uh, the sorry, um, What's it called? Serial number? Tail number? Oh, nice. Yes. Uh, it was also looked like the correct model airplane. It was a uh, Electra 10. Yep. I got a little pop-up about that, too. Yes. However... The nose was wrong. I didn't. The pop-up did not tell me that. Yes, Wikipedia helpfully has a picture of Amelia Earhart's plane, right, like straight on from the nose, and she had. There were two. I guess they. I, I think they may have been like additional spotlights uh, installed mm. in the nose, which were not present on this plane. Okay. Because obviously they couldn't get her plane. Mm. So speaking of old school technology, I don't think I ever knew. Until watching this episode. And I probably knew... Well, actually, I probably knew the last time I watched this episode and then forgot again. That AM stood for amplitude modulation. Do you know what FM stands for? Based on what AM stands for, I assume it stands for frequency modulation. That's correct. And that's why AM can travel farther than FM. And I have a thought on that. Not about AM, how far it travels. When they say they don't normally monitor that frequency. Right. Yeah. Guys, you're traveling through unexplored space. You have no idea what frequencies could be used. You would think they would just monitor all the frequencies. Yes, I suppose that's true. But they have experience, at, like Starfleet does, have a wide experience of interacting with hundreds upon hundreds of different species at every conceivable stage of development. Mm. So suppose, they could yeah. probably paint a picture that says, listen, everybody who's pre even putting anything into space is in this frequency band. We have never encountered anybody who hasn't even put a satellite up yet who is able to broadcast outside of this band of frequencies. 
That's a good point. Yeah. So, even though it's incredibly low bandwidth, and it's not like it's going to, like, confuse the computer, let's just not even bother. Yeah, see, that that was my thing. The computer should be logging this, because they definitely want to check on stuff anyway. Because we definitely see them checking, occasionally checking on pre-warp societies just for research purposes. That's true. Yeah, there's the one where they sent the doctor down. Yeah, well, that was because they were stuck uh, in orbit on the planet. But anyway. Oh, okay. I, I thought it was a uh, different. Uh, there was another time as well. But yeah. So my, I mean, my issue with the, with the signal was that Harry, like Harry's, like, aha! I've isolated it. I know exactly where it is and how far away it is. It's like you might be able to like tell how far away it is, but how does he know the direction of it? Whoa, be going in a certain. No, it's a straight up. It's a it's a broadcast. It's not narrow beam. AM is just I'm just like AM. It's it's just like I'm just gonna pump energy out. Right, but it would go out in a circle from where it is. Yes, and they're far away, and on the end. But their sensors would be able. They weren't that far away. They weren't like extreme. They uh, she laid in. They laid in warp six to get to the planet. They were kind of far away. Well, I'm thinking the sensors would be able to see the curve and figure it out. The ship's not that big, man. And at that, like at that distance, the curve's not that pronounced. I still think it would certain. It would be possible to extrapolate. So part of this for me is that. So we threw out a, a Twitter poll. Yes. Which is to say that you threw out a Twitter poll. Yes, I did. <laughs> yes, as the social media manager for <laughs> Delta Flyer. Hey, you retweet things sometimes. <laughs> yes, but uh, asking, because, uh, you you know, you tell it better. Yeah, uh, so this episode was originally intended to be the finale of season one, but then they cut season one short, so they moved this to the opener of season two. And I put out a poll asking people whether they thought this made a better season one or season two episode. Or worked better, I said, as the last episode of season one or the opener of season two. And I don't remember the exact numbers, but Stuart's pulling that up. And I know that it was rather close, but the majority said that it works better as an opener for season two. Uh, yes, there it, it was 52 to 48. Right. So it was not... Suit like it, 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 there was not a wide margin. Uh, you can count me on the side of the forty eights, though. I Same think here. this would have been much better as the end of season one, especially with the ending as a cliffhanger. Now it's interesting that you say that because Brandon Braga wanted it to be a cliffhanger at the end of season one. Because like, and as as I was thinking of this, I was also like thinking of like where are places where they could have stretched the story out a little bit. And spending an extra minute or so while they're like, we're getting this SOS. Since it's old school technology, it's just a straight up broadcast. We're going to need to triangulate it a little bit. So let's make a quick jump. Yeah. Yeah. So, like, just, you know, that, that's a minute. That's a minute of screen see time. Those, <laughs> see the fascinating cities. That'd be expensive. Uh, well, from what I've read, it wasn't a cost cutting measure that cut that was why they didn't show them or at least that wasn't the only reason they only vi- came up with the idea to visit the c- the cities very late in the production okay 
But, yes, Brandon Braga wanted this to be a two-part episode, but he was vetoed because they didn't want to do a cliffhanger in their first season. Hmm. And then, of course, it ended up not being the season finale anyway, so they could have done it as a, as a two-part episode, but anyway. Uh, yes, I, I mean, I suppose that they could have done it as a two-parter opener of the season that yeah. like ends on a cliffhanger of maybe half the crew is going to leave. Yeah. Well, all right, I can get behind that, I guess. But I think it, I think it's a much better way to end the first season than Learning Curve was. Yes, I would agree. Learning Curve was a very good episode. I enjoyed it. I think I yes. listed it on my top three. But it was. But yes, this would have been a much better season one. And if you weren't doing the cliffhanger as it is, it was still it, that the the final scene where the we learned that the crew wants to stay together and continue mm-hmm. on home. That would make a good ending for the season. Oh yeah, no, I mean that's yeah. I, I, I'm sorry, folks, but the people who said that it was great as the or fine as the season two opener, you're just you're just wrong. Yeah, I mean it's not bad as the opener for season two, but it would have worked better as the ending for season one. It would have been objectively better. <laughs> yeah. So, sorry, we. Uh, uh, I respectfully disagree with the results of that poll. Ah, I remember the synopsis thing now. <laughs> Excellent. <laughs> what was it? <laughs> Well, because I was about to say, I expected to get, like, maybe some uh, contradictory tweets because of our opinion, and I was going to say that, you know, God forbid anyone hears me say the word discover in the synopsis, and we get angry tweets at the people who don't like Star Trek Discovery. Ah, yes. So, I mean, we really don't need to go into that can of worms, but... No, we're not going into it at all, because we're not a a topical podcast. No, 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 we're not. Well, we, I mean, we are, we have a topic, it's Star Trek Voyager, but we're not topical in the sense of up to the minute. We won't be talking about Discovery for another 20 years. That's right. Assuming we're not all dead or living on the moon in 20 years. This is true. Yeah. Well, if we're living on the moon, we could still talk about Discovery. Why does Noonan want to get J. Edgar Hoover on the phone? It's an excellent question. Like, why would the FBI be involved in this? Like, they just got formed. Well, they had been formed for, like, ten years at this point. I thought it was, like, early 30s, like, 34? Nah, it was the 20... I don't remember the exact date, but there was a text pop-up that J. Edgar Hoover was the head of the, was the, head of the FBI from when it was formed in 1920-something until his death in 1972. Yes, he was the longest-serving one, and probably why they put in place the newer, like, the more current rule... Uh, which is that they can only... No, apparently it was served in... It was formed in 1908 as the Bureau of Investigation. Okay, so uh, J. Edgar Hoover was not there when it was formed, but J. Edgar Hoover had been director of the FBI for 10 years. But still, why did he want J. Edgar Hoover on the line? That is an excellent question. Uh, Yeah, especially in light of the later bit where Janeway is talking to Earhart uh, about uh, their alleged secret mission to spy on the Japanese. Mm-hmm. So why didn't Noonan want to get someone from the War Department or FDR on the phone? Yeah. Like, why would the FBI be involved in that? They shouldn't be. I mean, I guess that, I mean, I guess that, like, next to FDR, J. Edgar Hoover would be, like, the most, like, recognizable name from that time period. It's not like anyone would know whoever the heck was in charge of Army Intelligence. Yeah, and the CIA didn't exist yet, I don't think. No, it would have... It would have still been the um, OSI, yeah. At that point, so yeah, I Noonan was 
I honestly know nothing about the historical figure of Fred Noonan, other than what the text pop-up told me, that he had gone on this <laughs> trip to uh, raise, that he was had been a navigator for Pan Am and mapped out all their routes in the Pacific, and that he then went on this trip to tr- gain publicity and raise money for a flight school that he wanted to run. But I don't know what kind of person he was, but he was definitely shown as not a very likable person in this episode. I mean, I guess not very likable. He... I didn't know. Really, I didn't really view him in, the, in a negative light. He wasn't the bad guy. Well, no. Well, there wasn't really a bad guy this episode. Right. No. He was. It, he was thrust into a bizarre situation with these people in ridiculous outfits, telling him ridiculous stories, and he did what he knew to do, which is try to take charge of the situation. Yeah, like right. I'm not. I mean, I yes, I guess I'm defending him, but. Mostly I'm just saying, like, I don't see him as the bad guy. I don't see even this portrayal as him being portrayed even, like, a little bit negatively. Mm. Other than perhaps he, you know, was a drunk. Yeah. All right. Fair enough. But, like I said, I don't really know much about Noonan. And I I did think that the scene where he professes his love for Earhart was dumb and not necessary. And, well, I mean, I don't know whether he and Earhart in reality, no one really knows. But... There's, I don't believe, there's certainly no proof that they, that he actually loved her in real life. Right, but that's what makes it unrequited and or illicit. Mm, that's true. So, this is a class L planet with an oxygen argon atmosphere. Thank you, weird pop-ups on the DVD. No, that was Harry Kim. Oh, I, I missed that altogether. I did <laughs> notice Harry Kim saying that he wanted to stay on the planet, though. No, Harry Kim said he didn't. Oh, no, that's right. He did say he wanted to stay on the planet instead of going home, which was out of character for Harry Kim. Uh, yeah, because it was like, no, 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 I just said I could understand why people would want to stay. I didn't say I was going to. I just said I could understand why people would want to. But Bellana read right through that. So, I don't know much about biochemistry, but can we breathe an oxygen-argon atmosphere? I think there's some... Isn't there some argon in our atmosphere? I mean, I suppose if you call it an oxygen argon. Like, presumably that would be similar to the nitrogen content in our current atmosphere. Which is most of it. Yeah. It's like, I don't even know if we can breathe that. I don't have, no one's pro- probably no one has ever tested that. Oh, I'm sure someone's tested it. I mean, we can breathe oxygen. We know that. We kind of need to. Right. But not too much oxygen. Right. Well, yeah, because no, then we can, get all loopy. You can still breathe. You won't die if you breathe too much oxygen. Have we tested this, like, a long-term? Like, how long-term? I don't know. How long-term? I think there is a, There are some studies that say that breathing pure oxygen for too long can introduce more free radicals into your body. I, 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 think I, I prefer to pay for my radicals. Mm. Yeah. Well, once bought, a radical probably doesn't stay bought, but... <sighs> no, no, that's how they get you. So something about you 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 had a complaint about the Noonan Earhart love scene. Yeah. I had a problem with when we first find Amelia Earhart and how and the camera direction they chose to go with. Okay. Cuz you've got Janeway there, she's like, "Oh, this one is the uh, female." And she's wearing some sort of, not some kind of leather jacket with gold wings right but then like but then half a second later the camera shows us the gold wings and the name tag and i much more would have preferred that reveal to happen 
after Janeway had been talking about it for a minute. Also, like maybe like yeah. like she gets halfway through spelling. Maybe she didn't say gold wings. I just said like and some sort of gold pen and a name tag, and she starts spelling it. And then it and then she gets like halfway through when we cut to it and like I don't know I, just like the I, I didn't care for the verbal versus visual continuity. And according to a pop up on the DVD, that was not accurate for what she would have really worn. Amelia Earhart was famously anti flying clothes and would just wear normal clothes when flying. No, that's fair. But they needed that so that we knew who she was. Speaking of knowing who people are. Mm-hmm. When we first meet the humans, mm-hmm. the new humans. The Newmans. Yeah, sure. It's Evansville and his colleague, Karen Berlin. This is my colleague, Karen Berlin. And it focuses on Karen Berlin. And then it focuses on Janeway's face, who gives like a slight smile. And then it focuses back on Karen Berlin. Are we supposed to know who this person is? Are we supposed to care who this person is? Because they never show up ever again. No, I don't think so. I think we're just pointing out... uh, I think it's to to point out the names, that they clearly have names that are taken from Earth. Okay, I mean, so Smith. Hmm. I don't know, just something... It was a very strange scene. Based on that, I presume they use the names of the cities that their ancestors came from. Yeah, Evansville. Yeah, because yeah. Berlin is like a real last name, but Evansville isn't. Not, I mean, I suppose anything could be. Okay, if your last name is e- is Evansville, I'm sorry, and feel free to to write us and tell us how wrong we are. We won't believe you, though. It's true, we won't. No. Like, I need the long-form birth certificate. <laughs> Here's my question. So, Evansville, Berlin, and unnamed third member of their party... Yeah, why didn't he name the unnamed third member of the party? Uh, yeah, because if he had him and like, yeah, this is John Cincinnati, then we really definitely could have nailed down the idea. Right. Like what you had just posited. But anyway, how is it Evansville has the authority to offer them tours of the cities and accommodations in the cities? He like He's the guy who's just scoping out what these crazy folks are doing at the cave. So... Yeah, I don't know. Maybe it turns out he actually is one of their leaders. I mean, I don't know. I just feel like, yeah, it seems silly to me, but... So that's... uh, Since you commented on how I pronounce Menorah, I've always thought that you pronounce Tor, interestingly. Tor, yeah. Like a rock band band going on tour. Yeah, but I've always... I say Tor. I don't say Tour. Okay. It rhymes with, uh, the kind of mountain. Uh, well, it not, yeah, kind of, not really. No, <laughs> I was gonna say it rhymes, it, it's, uh, it's a homophone with, uh, the mountain peak, Tor. Uh, yeah, I, I hear how you're saying it. And that's how I normally hear people say it. I suppose that yours is more, is more similar to your. Yes. Yes, it rhymes with your. There we go. Yeah. Which is incidentally spelled the same way, but yes. isn't now I'm blanking. And poor. Yeah, is dower. Dower is spelled the same way, but English is weird. Yeah, so yeah, like so, mine's I guess a little bit more similar to dower. I mean, yeah, but it's not. Do- okay, it's an amount. If you pronounced it tower, that would just be really strange. Yeah. <laughs> 
But anyway, we're getting to the weeds a little bit. I want to know where Neelix found horses. What? He made Noonan Jello. Uh, oh, it was replicated. Horses. He didn't. He didn't say it was replicated. I think because he specifically he specifically called out replicated ginger. Oh, that's true. Did Neelix kill somebody? Yeah, he did. We're I mean, so we're led to believe that he already had like green beans and pot roast, which still does not answer the question about whether or not he did kill someone. That's where the meat for the pot roast came from, right? But like, like the larger question of whether or not like the Federation writ large is. Or not Federation, but like Starfleet writ large is like vegetarian. I still don't think they are. It's just it's it it's weird to me they don't mention ham sandwiches more often. I don't think they actually kill animals, but I, I'm pretty sure they do replicate meat with no issue. Is replicated meat murder? No, but it tastes like despair. What does it taste like? Despair? <laughs> <laughs> I, but so the last thing that I want to talk about is Earhart saying how she would have liked to have flown that ship. Mm-hmm. There's not a lot of flying. Yeah. Tom just presses a couple buttons. Right. Like, they have inertial dampeners. They don't even know, like, when they're turning. Speaking of Tom's flying abilities, he landed that ship really close to that mountain. He's a... He's he's he's, uh, he's a wild man. Also, the He's ship, also never landed a ship before. The ship did not look big enough. When they're standing on the when they're standing on the planet and the ship's in the background, it looks too small. Yes, I've always thought that. Like the like the proportions just seemed off. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it is interesting to me that they apparently can run the sh- that Chakotay was saying that they need at least a hundred people to run the ship, and the crew complement's only like a hundred and she said what hundred one hundred fifty two on board. Yeah, that. I feel like they could probably get away with a smaller crew, if. But, I mean, in Star, you know, in in Star Trek Into Darkness, Khan was able to fly that ship all by his lonesome. It's true. That was much big, much bigger ship. Boy, that was a bad movie. How how does the Universal Translator work? How I does... have that. I have that exact thing written down. I like. Like, word for word. How does the Japanese guy... Like, I understand the concept that it makes the person, the the star heroes and the other people understand each other. But how does it make two people who don't have the translators understand each other? Right. That's what I'm saying. Like... (laughs) And how does it not sound super obviously like a robot? Or something. I don't... It just, like... Can I just yeah. say, uh, I know we said that we're not a Discovery podcast, but I really liked the way they handled it on Discovery. I am not even remembering. Uh, in Into the Forest I Go, when Burnham is on the Klingon ship and she's talking to Cole right before they fight, uh, she's talking into her tricorder and then it's sending out her voice in Klingon, and when he talks, her tricorder is... Oh, okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, that's that's tech we almost very nearly have today. Yes. Yeah. Anyway, it's not. Yeah. We did we did a bunch of nitpicking on this episode, uh, as is our want. But I do Quite. enjoy this episode for the most part. I really, I especially, I've always liked the ship landing. I've always thought that looked cool. It's it kind of cheesy. Cool. It's kind. It it's is. certainly a gimmick, but it's cool. It's like cheesy in all the best ways. Yes. And they have their own alert. You put the ship on blue alert. That's 
Yeah. Yeah. Because cool. they're going to break through the clouds. Yes. I do think that it seems a little strange that in the episode they talk about these great cities and we don't even see like a panning shot of them from far away or anything. Yeah, I couldn't make up my mind if one if a hundred thousand was too high or too low of a number. Yeah, I don't know for the pop. Yeah, after four hundred years, yeah, because they started with like three hundred people. Yeah, and our ordinary circumstances, they wouldn't have last past like the third winter or something. Right. Uh, but if they overthrew a technologically advanced race, then they have indoor plumbing already. So that helps them sidestep a lot of problems. A little bit, yeah. Yeah. No, I uh, no, it, it was it was a fine episode. Uh, I think I saw one Twitter comment that was made the point that you know what, forget it. Neither ender or opener. It's a fine episode for a mid season. Yeah, I would agree and with that. I I can agree with that position. Hey, how about this? Make it a two parter. It's the mid season break. I realized they didn't do mid season breaks back then, but yeah, that you know that's also that that that's another winner. Because you also kind of, like, maybe leave it up in the air. Like, maybe Amelia Earhart joins the cast. You kind of felt like she was gonna, too. And yeah, that would have been weird. It would have, in fact, been weird. Yes. But. And I realized that the awkward scene where Noonan professes his love was there so that Robert Ricardo had a speaking role. And an excellent eye roll. Yes. Oh. So, no one. Well, Tim Russ eye rolls pretty well, too. Yeah. All right. Well, I think that the, those are all of my notes. I think we've covered more or less everything. Yeah, I think that's all that I have to talk about this week. Uh, next week, we're going to be talking about or initiation. Yeah, we'll get that started next week. Quite so. <laughs> Thanks for listening this week. If you enjoyed this, you should also check out our other podcast, Stargate Weekly. You can find and review both on your podcast player of choice. And you can also reach us at our email address, deltaflyerpod at gmail.com. You can find me on Twitter at Tyrannicus. You can find me on Twitter at Gamicus. And you can follow the show on Twitter at Delta Flyer Pod. And that's our show. Yeah. The video. Hey, just a quick update. Uh, if you're going to be at Star Trek Las Vegas... I'm not. Why are you telling me this? I'm not talking to you. I'm talking to our listeners. Hello, listeners. Okay, so Stuart's not going to be there, but I am. And uh, <laughs> this is in... Las Vegas on the first week of August, so two weeks from now. Uh, if you're going to be there, I'm going to be there all five days. Uh, I will be in different costumes throughout throughout the week, but I will be posting what I'm wearing every day on Twitter. Uh, come find me. Say hi. Talk to me about the show. Talk to me about Star Trek. Talk to me about really anything. Uh, and ask me for a Delta Flyer pin, because I'll have a lot of them to hand out. Heck yes. All right.